if you're realizing, okay, I feel anxious, I feel guilty, I feel pressure, I feel all these ways I don't want to feel. If you're a hypo, take note of the behaviors that your boss is engaging in and then empower yourself to engage in different behavior going forward. One, two, Welcome to the Emotional Intelligence Podcast, a podcast where we explore the intersection of emotional intelligence and leadership. And whether you're a seasoned executive or just starting out in your leadership journey, we're going to share practical tips, inspiring stories, and expert insights to help you develop your emotional intelligence and achieve your goals. So sit back, relax, and get ready to take your leadership skills to the next level. I'm Ismail. And I'm Samir. Hello, everyone. Joining us on today's episode is a very special guest. Jordan Tivers. Jordan is a licensed clinical social worker, certified group psychotherapist, and is the founder of Tivers Psychology Solutions, a private psychotherapy and consulting practice based in Chicago, Illinois. He's an individual and group psychotherapist with over 10 years of experience treating a variety of mental health conditions. He's also a leadership and performance coach to founders, managers, high potential employees, and athletes. Jordan also facilitates mastermind groups to meet the needs of high-achieving professionals in search of accountability, support, and leadership training. The groups he facilitates are unique in comparison to other mastermind groups due to the highly experiential and educational nature of them. His mastermind groups specifically help individuals cultivate dynamic, emotional, and social intelligence skills. Jordan's work is informed by a variety of psychological theories, developmental, interpersonal, mindfulness-based positive psychology, and more. In each of Jordan's roles, he has found that helping individuals strengthen their emotional intelligence skills has been paramount to their success. All right. So we are here today on the Emotional Intelligence Podcast with a very special guest, Jordan Tivers who is the founder of Tivers Psychology Solutions, which is a private firm here based out of Chicago, Illinois, where Ismail and I are based. And we are very excited to have Jordan on. He is an individual and group psychotherapist with over 10 years of experience and uh, want to give him the floor. Jordan, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? It's great to be here. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's indeed a pleasure to have you. Um, Thank you for your time. Really appreciate it. I know that uh, time is an amazing commodity. So thank you very much for that. Uh, but Jordan, why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and a little bit of the work that you do? Sure. I'll do the best I can. So sure. um, Tamir's intro was already great, but I'll do my best to expand. Um, I'm an individual and group psychotherapist in private practice in Chicago, Um I'm a licensed clinical social worker and a certified group psychotherapist. Um, uh, with my clinical practice, I treat primarily other psychotherapists, which I really enjoy and I find really challenging in the best way possible. And I also treat lots of people in leadership positions, mm -hmm. um, uh, which is challenging and fulfilling for a whole host of reasons. Uh, in addition to my clinical work, I also do some coaching with founders, high potential employees, new managers, um, basically around helping them cultivate stronger social and emotional intelligence skills. 
um, in the next few months, I'll be starting the next cohort for my mastermind group, um, which I have been doing on a volunteer basis pre the pandemic, which feels like ages ago. Um, and the way my mastermind group will be a bit different than other mastermind groups you might find on Google is um, I'll be teaching group process, sort of group psychology and leadership. Um, again, basically helping people cultivate really well-rounded dynamic social, social and emotional intelligence skills within the group. So people will get this really unique, dynamic leadership training and community within the group. Um, so individual and group psychotherapist, I do some consulting and coaching. But my life is really organized around emotional intelligence, both personally and professionally. So um, I'm really excited to nerd out with you guys today. <laughs> awesome. So we got we got some uh, shared passion for the topic of emotional intelligence, which is great. And, mm -hmm. you know, you talked about like some different uh, you said you your core clients are other psychotherapists. You mm -hmm. said um, high performers. Mm -hmm. what other like what would you define as like your core client group though like is it more corporate professionals people in education and uh you know other industries like wh where where do you see like your core clientele yeah great question so for the sake of this conversation i'll use the word patients to refer to my clinical practice and i'll use clients to refer to my coaching and consulting work does that sound good to you guys that sounds perfect. That'll, that'll be a lot easier for us too. Cool. Um, so for my psychotherapy practice, I would say a majority of my patients are other psychotherapists. Um, and that can be early stage clinicians who are new to the field. It could be a group practice owner who manages eight clinicians themselves and sees, you know, 20, 30 patients themselves. Mm. Um, I see a fair amount of, um, other individuals working in healthcare in my clinical practice, um, and then really people who just want to have stronger relationships with others. Typically, they come to me and say a few things. They say, you know, I've done typical Freudian analysis, and that's too, um, it takes too long to feel and notice tangible results. Or they say, I've done cognitive behavioral therapy, which is really useful for symptom reduction, but I sort of feel like I'm still, there's still gaps in terms of having more fulfilling relationships. And uh, my clinical emphasis, it's more about, it's a relational perspective, interpersonal perspective. So I want people to leave sessions realizing how are they perceived by other people and what are they doing themselves that's keeping them distant from other people? What responsibility do they have to, uh, uh, let me rephrase, what is their role in their relational difficulties and how can we sort of use psychotherapy as a lab, both individually and within group psychotherapy, which I'm mm. sure I'll be talking about today, to um, have more fulfilling relationships with other people. For my coaching and consulting work, um, working with startup founders, high potential employees, consultants, uh, a fair amount of people in tech, and this can be uh, individuals who are engineers, and now they've been elevated to a management position, mm -hmm. and they feel like they want some support in their leadership development. Um, and so my approach, both consulting, coaching, and clinically, um, we're doing lots of focus on the immediacy. So what's happening between me and you in this moment, um, and how is what's happening right now? 
similar to what happens within uh, within you internally, so intrapersonally, and then interpersonally with others in your other relationships. Um, so again, I want that person to leave that session, that appointment saying, okay, I get that when I intellectualize as a boss, um, my, my team is probably checking out right now because Jordan let me know that when I intellectualize in the moment, he feels far away from me. He feels distant. He's not really knowing me. So when I'm sharing my feelings in the moment around a problem or my own challenges, actually that kind of pulls people in. And so I want people to leave psychotherapy, coaching, mastermind, really hearing, again, what they do to create distance between themselves and others and how they could behave differently to get people to feel closer to them. And of course, to have them feel closer to others. That is fascinating. And, and <laughs> so in, in a way, you're really helping people to become more self-aware, right? Like what what is it exactly that you're doing? So the question that comes to mind for me is like, what are some of the tactics that you're using to find out this information? Like, how are you gleaning this out of, out of them um, and figuring out whether something is creating distance or potentially bringing people closer? Well, you use the word self-awareness. So much of my, what I'm doing when I'm not in the room with patients or clients is I'm focusing on how do I increase my self-awareness as much as possible. Um, so for years that has involved either being an individual psychotherapy, group psychotherapy, mm. a training group, a consultation group. Um, I think it's great that we as a culture are talking lots about meditation and mindfulness and journaling and yoga, but the cost of those, um, the cost of those practices is there isn't an interpersonal perspective. You're not doing those practices with other people. So mm -hmm. those are practices I myself love. Um, I've been meditating 12, 15 years now. Um, I try and journal as much as possible daily, if not twice daily. But where I've learned the most, it's from my consultation group. It's from my therapy groups as a, as a member, right? So it's someone telling me, Jordan, you say that you want to come across as kind and engaging, but right now you kind of seem harsh. You kind of seem intense. <laughs> and so while that might be jarring or disorienting to hear, um, perhaps through meditation and perhaps through journaling, I can recognize the way in which I'm talking to myself and I can recognize my tone and there is value in that. But because I'm really relationally oriented, having mm -hmm. my colleague or a friend or a, a group therapy member or my wife say, hey, when you talk this way, I actually feel really far away from you. That's really, really useful for me. Yeah. So to answer your question, Samir, I'm as much as possible trying to be as self and socially aware as possible. And I'm integrating those philosophies, those perspectives into my work with patients. Um, the questions and how I get there can sort of be a bit, uh, it depends on the person, their ego strength, their goals, what our mm -hmm. relationship is like. Um, but I'm a big believer in congruence. Nothing I recommend, everything I recommend to my own patients or clients or practices I'm doing myself. Um, Interesting. So um, again, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer, if I can just finish, in, is in doing practices that help me become more self-aware. Um, but those practices matter most when I'm also integrating other people into my life, because when you're in a leadership position, you're going to be managing other people and you want as much as possible for people to feel safe with you, to feel connected, to feel empowered. Um, and it's so, so important to learn as a leader 
am I helping the people in my life feel that way as well? You know, I, I feel like that is almost the, uh, the, the story of the genesis of our podcast in the sense of how Samir and I, we would talk to each other. We, we were almost each other's therapists, so to speak. Um, and you know, I really appreciate and cherish, uh, Samir's feedback that he has for me because a, it's really, it, it's, there's nothing, there's very genuine, which I can appreciate and I can learn a lot from it. And I mean, it's not to say that I'm going to take it all in and, and do exactly what he says, but it really gives me perspective. And, and I, and I appreciate that. Like when I hear you talk about getting feedback or hearing what others have to say about a certain uh, situation that you're in, it really reminds me back when we, we started this whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. One, one of the topics that we had uh, in in the past was about feedback, and I'm just curious. Uh, some people, like as Samir was taking, like Samir was mentioning, you you are appreciative, you're open to the feedback, but some people aren't necessarily. Do you run into, we'll say, clients or patients who need that feedback and information, but just don't know how to take that feedback? Absolutely, I think for some people. Um, like I said before, it can just be disorienting and jarring to hear that someone experiences you very differently than you see yourself. Um, I think absolutely people have their defenses that keep them protective and keep them guarded. And, you know, a a lot of receiving feedback allows, or it it encourages you on the receiving end to let those defenses down and to be open Mm. to considering that maybe you're not perceived the way you'd like to be. Um, so I think there is an art form, both as a, a therapist, coach, consultant, and how you deliver feedback. And I also believe too, like, I'm a firm believer in that, like, we really should only be accepting feedback from people that we're also willing to go to from advice. Oh, I like that. So like, um, you know, I, especially with patients of mine, um, who maybe are working on building up their self-esteem, their sense of self. If they have a friend they're not really close with, that they feel really distant from, they've grown apart from, that friend like criticizes them or tells them you're a bad person and here's why. And that person comes in my, that client, excuse me, patient comes in the office and says, oh my gosh, I'm so, I'm so hurt. I'm so harmed by what this person said to me. I'll ask like, are you going to this person for feedback typically? Like, and they'll say, well, no. I'm like, well, then why internalize what they're saying to you? It, so, uh, yes, I'm open to feedback. And I love that Samir used the word intentional or intentionality. I'm also really intentional with who I let into my life and who I'm going to trust to give me feedback because um, it, it really, I think it takes a lot of trust and curiosity to uh, be willing to give and receive feedback. Yeah. And it kind of goes back to what Ismail was saying about uh, genuine, right? Like if, if it's somebody that genuinely has your welfare in mind and, and Mm -hmm. that's where advice and feedback can go hand in hand. So that's, that's really cool. Um, Jordan, 
on the podcast and in general, we talk a lot about emotional intelligence, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and in our some of our conversations that we had leading up to to this recording, you mentioned the term social intelligence, and I'm wondering mm-hmm. if you can kind of help define social intelligence uh, for us, and then maybe why you would use it in hand in hand with emotional intelligence. I, I see emotional intelligence as one's ability to know what they're feeling, why they're feeling it, and the ability to express their feelings to lead to desirable outcomes. Um, And obviously, there's overlap with social intelligence. I think the social intelligence component piece is also about how do I communicate in a way to have relationships that I want um, and to have people engage with me in ways that um, help me feel most connected, seen, fulfilled. Because like I was saying before, there's been such this emphasis in our culture the last few years on self-awareness, expressing ourselves, but I don't think we talk enough about like, how do we take in feedback? How do we take in emotion? And and that's a part of this sort of uh, emotional intelligence space that I don't think is talked about enough. Um, And like, how I might express myself to my wife should be a bit different than how I might express myself to a patient, a client, a client. uh, a peer of mine. Um, so I think it's really great that we're as a culture are, um, sort of celebrating vulnerability. There also is value in like knowing your audience and being able to read the room. And so I think that's the social intelligence piece where to me, someone who has a high level emotional intelligence will know how to express themselves in the moment, given what the circumstances call for. I mean, it it is its own art form and science, actually, uh, mm-hmm. in of itself. So uh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Do you see situations where somebody is high on the emotional intelligence spectrum, but maybe low on social intelligence, or vice versa? Or is it typically mm-hmm. the two kind of just trend in the same direction? I think they typically trend in the same direction. I think there are people that. How do I say this? They can be. They can use emotionally intelligent language to seduce others, but I'm not sure that they're the most socially intelligent individuals because they're, they're sort of seduction, if you will. And we see this from some leaders, some public-facing leaders. Um, they know how to pull people in to get what they want from those people, mm. but is it within the best interest of those people to sort of give what this leader is asking for? Sometimes yes, often no. Um, and so by that, again, some might say, well, that person is really socially intelligent because they're getting what they want from that person. Are they moral? I'm not so sure. Wow. That's yeah. why I talk a lot about, that's why I talk a lot about congruence. I, I think we talked about this in our lead up call last week. You know, the past four to six months, we've seen lots of CEOs say, I take responsibility for the harm my business decisions have caused. And that sounds really nice. It's really good language. But to me, responsibility taking also involves you meeting with those employees who are now harmed emotionally and financially by your decisions and giving them the space to express their feelings about the decisions that you've made. That, to me, is responsibility taking. It's not mm-hmm. just saying the good thing that your board of directors are going to appreciate or your PR team is going to appreciate. It's also about being able, being willing and able to tolerate the emotions people have towards and about you given the decisions that you've made. 
And so that's where I think congruence is really, really important. It's not enough to just say that you take responsibility, but um, are you also willing to be emotionally responsive for the ways in which your decisions have affected your team for better or for worse? That to me is the mark of a really uh, true and effective leader. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. We hope you're enjoying the episode so far. If you want to stay updated on all the latest content and behind the scenes action, be sure to follow us on social media. You can find us on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and several other places by using the link in the show notes. And if it's not too much trouble, we'd love for you to leave a review and share this episode with some of your friends. Your support means everything to us, and we can't wait to connect with you online. Now, let's get back to the show. So that kind of segues a little bit here where we talked about seduction. I, I know Ismail and I in the past on the podcast have kind of used the word manipulation. Um, and so when you're dealing with high performing individuals, right? And obviously these high performing individuals, they have like a deep desire to grow. They have a deep desire to please, but they may have managers or bosses or leaders that they're struggling with, right? And for a variety of different reasons. And and I think part of your coaching practice is coaching on managing up, right? And we'd love to hear hear about some of those strategies and what you can advise to our high performing people that are listening in dealing with potentially a boss who is low in emotional intelligence, low in social intelligence and potentially just a bad leader. I think a lot of what hypos, high potential employees have to sort of work on, especially if they're having a hard time being led by their manager, it's one, like separating, like, what are my feelings that I have to own? Like, what am I responsible for in terms of how I'm engaging with my boss? And how much of these, uh, outside of that, how much of my own feelings are also being induced as a result of my manager? Mm-hmm. So if I'm feeling guilty, if I'm feeling stressed, if I'm feeling pressured, yes, like those are my feelings and I have to be aware that I'm having those. But um, can I at least pay attention to the way that my manager is engaging with me that might be informing the way I'm feeling at the very least so that I can learn to sort of divorce myself from those feelings and recognize, okay, my manager, they have some payout in me feeling this way. They benefit from me feeling stressed, me feeling anxious, me feeling pressured. That's one thing. Um, I think it's really, really useful um, to all, like to me, the most emotionally intelligent people, when they're dealing with someone who's not really emotionally intelligent, they have the capacity when they're interacting with that person to both take care of themselves while also stroking the ego of that person. So this can look like someone saying to their boss, um, you know, John, like, um, I really need you as a boss. Your direction to me is so, so useful. I'm so grateful for all the guidance that you've given me. That hypo probably is recognized, whether it's with coaching, therapy, or someone else, that John, their boss, wants to hear how important that they are. John (laughs) wants to hear that they are needed, they're important, that they're smart. Um, and can this high potential employee feel okay stroking the ego of their boss and also take care of themselves in the moment? I don't want anyone to say that if it makes them feel gross, if it makes them feel like they are acting incongruently with their own values. But if saying that helps sort of manage the relationship, 
and it doesn't make them have to compromise their own values or work differently or harder than they want to, I think sometimes you have to learn how to do that. Um, I also think it's really useful to view your manager's dysfunctional behaviors as a gift. What a great way to learn how not to be. If you're realizing, okay, I feel anxious, I feel guilty, I feel pressure, I feel all these ways I don't want to feel, if you're a hypo, take note of the behaviors that your boss is engaging in and then empower yourself to engage in different behavior going forward. It can just be so easy to like focus on how resentful you are and angry you are, but if you can have that growth mindset, which I'm sure you guys have talked about in here, can you frame those behaviors as a gift for learning about the sort of boss that you want to be? I think this is what I was going back to before. Like, If you're only journaling or you're only meditating, you're probably going to become aware of, like, again, those painful feelings you have in relation to that boss that's not managing you. So having a team, a mastermind group, a coach, a therapist who can help you sort of tease out your feelings, that can just be so, so useful. So mm. you're getting feedback and you're getting support from other people. You're doing a great job. Your boss, this is how they act with probably everyone. It's not just you. So at the very least, you can sort of depersonalize yourself from all those icky feelings that you might be having. Yeah. And I think reflecting on my own leadership journey, and you said it well, like you learn just as much from a good leader, how to lead and also from bad leaders bad that leaders. you've worked for. Right. Like I think a lot of my own leadership style has been more on the side of like, I don't want to do this because I know how this made me feel when, when mm -hmm. my boss did this to me. Right. And so no, that's, that's really great. And I, I just appreciate that so much that that's something that you're helping people with, because it, it is something that a lot of high potential employees or high performing employees struggle mm -hmm. with. It's, it's that emotional uh, baggage that comes with having a tough manager. It's like, you want to please them. You want to do well, totally. but you also need to be able to in manage the, the emotional baggage that comes along with it. So well, I think of it as like, almost like being a kid again, you have to sort of actualize into adulthood. There are things from childhood that you want to hold on to. They worked mm -hmm. with you and your family system and you want to maintain those rituals, values, norms, and, you also have to individuate and say, you know what? Some of this stuff did not work. I want to become my own person. So I'm going to integrate these values and make you make those my own. Um, and I think it's no, it's no different as you want to level up in your career. I think it's really important to figure out what from this boss do I want to hold on to and what do I want to let go of and make mine? Um, and the second thing I was going to say, um, it's connected is I, it's not just enough to say, I don't want to be like this person, because if that's your mindset, you're then motivated by fear. You're hey. saying, I don't want people to feel guilty in my presence, let's say. So then what can happen is you can feel really tight and really anxious because you're trying so hard to avoid a particular feeling. And so it's really important to adopt a proactive mindset. So you might say, I don't want people to feel anxious around me. Great. How do you want people to feel? I want people to feel safe. I want them to feel free. I want them to feel light. Okay, then we can organize our conversations clinically or with coaching to help you get there um, behaviorally. Um, again, it's uh, someone might say, I don't want someone else to feel disempowered in my presence. Okay, great. Then how do you want them to feel? I want them to feel empowered and seen. Okay, well then what sort of mindset do you have to adopt and what sort of behaviors do you have to engage in to create those circumstances? Um, 
I just see it all the time where people are, uh, they don't want to be like the parents, the ex-boyfriend, um, the difficult boss. And so then they overcorrect and their heart's in the right place. They don't want to cause other people harm. But if you want to do that, you also have to adopt a proactive mindset and say, well, here's how I do want people to feel mm-hmm. in my presence. Um, and something I'm always asking uh, patients or clients is like, when you think about how you want to show up with other people, like think of yourself one, five, 10 years on the line. How do you want that person to say they felt in your presence? Yeah. I like That's that. That's great. It's, it's I mean, interesting it, to, you can go the other way with it, right? Like if you asking that next question, if you were to ask me that question, like, okay, how do you want people to feel? I want people to feel safe. I want them to mm-hmm. feel, um, I want them to feel open, but I also want them to feel motivated and I want them to feel accountable. Mm -hmm. And so like it it is a spectrum of emotion there and it's not just, I want them to feel light. I I also want them Mm -hmm. to do the work for me, you know? And so we, we can talk about how to make that happen. And that's where I really think, you know, having that coach, uh, someone like yourself would be so valuable to so many leaders. I think where lots of leaders get tripped up um, is, they maybe listen to a podcast, read a book and they decide, okay, well here are the rules for leadership. And then like they become sort of rigid in their approach, but what Lauren might need, it could be very different than what Mike needs or Sally needs or Mike needs. And again, like to me, the marker of a really effective leader, it's someone who's really able to individualize their approach with the people that they're managing. Um, or they say, well, this is how I was coached. And so that must be the effective route towards coaching others. Um, that's not always the case. So, I mean, there, there, there are two things. One was when you were talking about, uh, uh, you know, focusing on, say, some, I don't want people to feel guilty versus how I want them to feel. One of the thoughts that came to my mind was, you know, uh, anytime you're learning some sort of new skill or sport that requires coordination, like, for instance, we'll just say driving, it's like, uh, look where you want to go versus not where you where you don't want to go. It's like, I don't want to hit that tree. I don't want to hit that tree. And, you, you know, you, you nat- like your body just kind of naturally goes as small incremental changes that go or when you're skiing, it's like, hey, you, you point if you look where you want to go, you're going to go that way. And I feel like the mind works that same way in terms of just how you make people feel the way that you present yourself really comes down to these small little changes, but have huge impacts on people around you in the environment. The other thing I wanted to ask you, if we change gears just a little bit, um, you had talked about, you had talked about uh, there's individual therapy, but then there's group, right? And you talked about relation, relational therapy, and uh, you have this mastermind, for instance, right? So what is it about group and you did touch on this a little bit earlier but what is what what are the various reasons and uh, benefits of say group or a group of people versus individual and one more follow-up to that what does a group dynamic or group therapy session even look like for yeah you know i think that would be helpful for for our listeners great question so i'll try and answer uh the primary questions and feel free to interject if you want me to expand on something sure So for my therapy groups, most people are reaching out to me and they're saying they feel really lonely. They feel misunderstood by other people. Um, Perhaps they have an addiction and they want support. Um, Perhaps 
they see themselves one way, but they're hearing from other people that they're not always experienced that way. Um, and so part of the benefits of group is you realize people feel pretty similar to, similarly to each other. Um, so it's nice to feel less alone. Um, mm. You get to sort of practice um, social skills. So let's say someone typically can be really compliant, right? They just are a people pleaser. Um, in group, you get to practice saying no. You get to practice asserting yourself. You get to practice showing up differently that could benefit you both personally and professionally. Um, and you also get, it's almost like a lab. So um, you get to just really practice different ways of connecting with other people um, and also just hearing other people's perspectives around how they think, how they feel, how they cope with their own difficulties. It's just really, really powerful to feel a part of a community. Uh, and especially for people who come from families or groups of friends where there's lots of secrets and not much is talked about in group, you get to ask the questions that perhaps you've always wanted to know about yourself or other people. Um, I think about Can you like, give us a quick example of that, like a, a type of question you might ask. Um, well, actually I'll use us three as an example of like how the power of being in a group that meets continuously, right? Probably about an hour or two for now, I might be thinking, dang, how, how was that one point I made about social intelligence? How did that come across to Samir and Ismail? Um, if you and I, as us three, don't meet again, I'm going to just be sort of racking my own brain, wondering and just hoping that it came across well. Um, and I'll hear the podcast and however knows how long, and I'll have an idea about how I sounded. But how amazing would it be if we all met next week and I said, hey, Ismail, Samir, how did I come across in that point? If you know, because I've been racking my brain. I felt really silly. I, I felt like I was sort of tangential. If Samir says, actually, Jordan, you were really coherent. You were really concise. Mm -hmm. um, I really appreciate the way you articulate your thoughts on that. That's so grounding for me. And because I trust mm -hmm. Samir, I'm going to be thinking the next time I may be anxious about the way I showed up in a meeting with a client, I, I, perhaps I've internalized Samir's voice. I'm going to be saying, you know what? My mind's not going to run as wild because I've checked in with Samir. I've checked in with other people about this. I've got enough reassurance. I'm not to doubt myself. Or maybe I feel really confident about something I expressed. And we meet next week. And Ismail says, Jordan, you know, something you said was really off-putting to me. And I want us to talk about it. Oh, my gosh. That might be so great to hear because it's likely that if I felt confident in here expressing something, it's likely I'm maybe feeling pretty confident clinically or in my practice. Mm -hmm. But Ismail is pointing out a blind spot that would be so useful for me to hear. In group therapy, it's no different. Someone might be talking about something really, really personal, and they might have left group feeling so shame-ridden or so embarrassed. Mm. And if they hear from one or more group members, oh my gosh, the way you expressed myself, the way you expressed yourself made me feel so close to you. It made me think so differently about myself, my family. Then that person realizes, oh my gosh, this way I shared not only made me, it brought me closer to people and got me more connection, but I gave people a gift by sharing in this way. Mm. How that can look in mastermind is I'm thinking about someone I met recently. He, uh, he wants to join my newest cohort, which starts in January. And he's told me he has a really hard time having his team open up to him about their struggles or their challenges, not only personally, but just on product, right? Um, and 
with me, his language was like really abrupt, kind of critical, kind of harsh. He wasn't being me towards me, but there was just certain words where he sounded like rigid. He sounded kind of intense. And my guess is if I'm feeling this way, his team's feeling this way and the mastermind is going to feel this way. So he's probably come into group. He's going to talk about his successes, what's going well. Um, and over time, he's probably going to hear from a group member. I'll make up a name. Mike, you're clearly really talented and it makes sense that you've moved up the way that you have, but certain words that you use, they kind of make me feel like anxious. They kind of make me feel like I have to be so on in your presence. Um, mm. Because Mike is a pretty growth oriented person, open to feedback, feedback based my interactions with him. I think he's going to realize, oh, maybe this is why my team is having a hard time being open with me because I use words that can be really harsh and make people feel like I'm asking maybe too much of them. So mm. whether it's a psychotherapy group or a mastermind group, just hearing how other people experience you can be such a gift. Um, of yeah. course, in a psychotherapy group, there's a specific sort of mental health diagnosis that a person's wanting to work through. My perspective is that, um, like that, if they can have more fulfilling relationships, um, their diagnosis can look different. It can be alleviated to a really substantial degree. And just like in the mastermind group, um, if this person is struggling with leadership, they're probably going to find out why that is within the group because there's so much feedback um, that's happening each group meeting. Does that answer you guys' questions? I, I Absolutely. I feel- <laughs> More than enough. No, that's great. No, okay. That's amazing. I'm like uh, just imagining the benefits of that. Yeah. And it's, it seems like something I wish I did 10 years ago. <laughs> that doesn't mean I shouldn't do it now. Um, how How long – does one cohort stay together? How, how many sessions, yep. what does that typically look like? So for my therapy groups, uh, my longest group was running for six years, but then one of them, we stopped during the pandemic. It was just really tough for us to mm-hmm. transition from in-person to zoom and the group had mm-hmm. reached its end point, but I have a group that's now been meeting for three years every week. Um, the mastermind group people will be in six month cohorts. Okay. Yeah. What's really cool about that is they'll be meeting in person and then I facilitate conversations for them online via Slack and I sort of maintain my role of facilitator. Um, What I do in the mastermind groups too is the first 75 minutes, it's the experiential component. So, oh, I want to go back to a question you asked because uh, it's important. Sure. Um, One of you asked, how do these groups typically start? I think it was you, Samir. Is that Mm -hmm. right? Uh, maybe. Um, so for the mastermind group, the first 75 minutes is experiential and that will look like someone saying, Hey, I really want to work on executive presence. I want to know how people experience me. Um, and so while they might be talking about their challenges at their job, you can get feedback in group on how people are experiencing you. And so, um, in the group, people are going to tell you, you know, here's when you sounded more concise, more direct, more powerful, this sort of word choice has made you sound a bit tangential or uh, unsure of yourself. Um, to answer your question, Samir, about how does a therapy group start? Typically, it's my, it's, uh, I'll start group saying, is there anything unfinished from last week? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Is there any unfinished business? And someone might say, you know what? I, I'm really hung up on the way we ended group. It felt like 
um, I've been feeling really sad about the way this conversation ended. Can we go back to this? Um, again, for okay. people who come from families where feelings aren't talked about or issues aren't resolved, this really has the chance to be a corrective experience where people can have the conversations that they weren't a- able to with their family. In the mastermind group, you get to have conversations with peers who are in similar positions as you that you're probably not going to have at work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So there is, there is a, it's pres- somewhat prescribed and methodical in terms of your approach, but you also have room for people to have like dynamic conversations. So my perspective is I'm not facilitating the content. I'm facilitating the process. Got the it. content so, is just the group bringing up what they need to bring up. Bring, yep. And, um, you know, and this is the task of a leader, right? There's times when I'm going to be a bit more hands-on. If the group mm-hmm. isn't talking about what's happening in the moment, I don't feel like I have a responsibility to bring back, bring the group back to what, like, what's happening right now interpersonally between all of us um, and like what, what caused us to sort of leave the room in terms of our conversation. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, with the group I was running for eight years and then the group that's been going now for three, I can be a bit more hands-off because they don't need me in the way that they needed me before. Mm -hmm. So if you have sort of a developmental lens when you're a boss, it would be natural that early on as you're ramping somebody up, you might be a bit more hands-on, get a bit more feedback. Mm -hmm. But um, as a boss, just like as a parent, uh, you want your team to, like, no longer need you. Yeah. Empower them. Yeah. Yeah. So – uh, and how many people are in a group? Uh, minimum be five with me six, and then uh, max is a uh, eight or nine. Yeah, that sounds about right. Cool. Yeah. And you had said that you facilitate, so there's in person, and then we'll say virtually or on, on Slack. Mm-hmm. Is it uh, what, what's the the ratio or combination of those different channels? So for my therapy groups. Um, they they actually just made a group agreement to change this. They're, they were doing three times a month on Zoom and then once a week um, in person. I'm about to go on paternity leave. And my sense is that when I come back, uh, we'll be meeting in person more regularly. Um, so that will either be every other week in person or I think they might choose to meet weekly. Um, gotcha. but that's up for the group to decide, of course. Uh, and Ismail, to answer your question, the mastermind group only happens in person. Gotcha. Got it. So yeah, they, they'll meet in person once a month. Um, and then they can use Slack as often as they want to. Cool. No, that's so cool. And, uh, if folks want to get in touch with you, Jordan, regarding your mm-hmm. mastermind, uh, cohort that's starting in January, how do people get in touch with you? What's the best way to connect with you? Obviously, you have a ton ton to offer existing leaders and aspiring leaders, so we want people to have an opportunity. We will link to all of your stuff in our show notes and and where they can reach out, but what's the best way to get in touch? Yeah, thank you. Probably chicagomasterminds.com. That's my website for my mastermind group, or even if you just Google Chicago Mastermind Group, I imagine that would show up on that first page. Um, But of course, if you provide my LinkedIn, People can also find me on there. And then for my clinical work, uh, it's just jordantivers.com. Excellent. And and one question that we like to ask um, all of our guests mm-hmm. uh, when they come in is, you know, through your career, you've you've learned and you've grown. And but knowing what you know now mm-hmm. in your career, mm-hmm. at this point in your career, 
what would you have done or what would you do differently at the beginning of your career? Ooh, that's a really good question. Put me on the spot. I love that. Um, I did say I was open to feedback and curiosity. So I have to practice what I'm preaching now, right? Yeah, indeed. Indeed. <laughs> um, what would I do differently in my career? Um, I probably would have been uh, even more selective with the mentors I uh, sort of chose. Um, mm-hmm. I think one of the benefits of my curiosity, I imagine this is the case for other people, is like I just want to learn so much and there's so much information out there. But I think early on in my career, it was just really easy to feel seduced or pulled into so many different sort of orientations um, that it almost felt overwhelming. And uh, I probably wasn't focusing enough on how I was feeling and why I was choosing those people in particular. I just said, this person's smart or they have a life that I really would like to live. So I'm going to choose to listen to their teachings. Um, but I wish I spent more time even then being curious about like, why am I choosing this person? What is it about their life that I want or maybe envy? And how come I'm feeling pulled to this person, but not this other individual? Um, so I think I, I think I, I wish I was more internally curious about what was driving my behavior at that time. Um, again, I think it's, I'm proud of the fact that I was looking for people to lean on and to be guided by, but I wish I focused more attention on why in particular I was choosing those people and those orientations. So I maybe could have focused my attention with a bit more intentionality at that time in my life. Totally. Absolutely. That's, that's great. That's great advice for, for, you know, younger people too, that are looking, especially in the social media generation, right? Mm -hmm. Figuring out what's, what's driving you towards certain people. Mm -hmm. Jordan, it was an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast today. And uh, for the folks that are interested in learning more about Jordan, Jordan Tivers.com and also Chicago masterminds. If you Google that, you'll be able to get in touch with Jordan as well as on LinkedIn. So Jordan Tivers, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It was an absolute pleasure, man. Thank you guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of the Emotional Intelligence Podcast. We hope you found it informative and enjoyable. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. And if you have a moment, we'd really appreciate it if you could leave a review on your favorite platform. Your feedback helps us improve and reach more people. If you're interested in learning more about the topics we discussed today, be sure to check out the show notes for links and resources. You can find them by visiting our website. And if you have any questions or feedback, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us by email at info at emotionalintelligence.com or connect with us on social media by using the links in the show notes. (music) 